This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday afternoon, June 1st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Your car is constantly collecting and recording information as you drive. We'll discuss the privacy implications in our next segment. But right now, a report on jobs in the private sector is out today while the compromised debt ceiling deal moves forward in Washington. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Mike, thanks for joining us today. There was a lot of drama, at least in the political coverage, of the debt ceiling negotiations as the two sides came together. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Democratic President Joe Biden, Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. But despite all the drama and kind of the apocalyptic coverage over the course of the negotiations, Mike, it seems like the bond markets knew there was going to be a resolution. Well, the bond markets knew because it always happens, right? I mean, this is political theater. It has always been that way. I don't know why we continue to have debt ceilings uh, other than the fact that it does create theater for for people and and, uh, possible political gain for certain individuals who can at least frame their story the best. But at the end of the day, they always end up coming up with a deal. And uh, again, they did this time. So this relief rally, I think it was more on the ADP report than it is the debt ceiling. But, you know, the market was looking for a reason to to uh, to move upward here. And uh, this morning, enough enough good news came out to, to give it that reason. So now that the debt ceiling is uh, off our plate, we're back to the uh, the original plot line of economic growth and the efforts to fight inflation. And when it comes to jobs reports and expectations of what the Labor Department report is going to be, I always seem like the, the, the financial coverage works out to uh, heads, heads I win, tails you lose, that no matter what happens, uh, there's there's some sort of bad thing lurking around the corner. But uh, when we look at the ADP report, uh, are, are we changing our expectations in real time about what the Fed needs to do to bring down inflation that may be a strong, robust job market? You don't have to necessarily wreck that to bring inflation down? Well, I mean, they have kind of said that the job market is what they're watching, but I mean, the ADP report, it showed that, we, you know, we had a, a good payroll number, 100,000 or so above expectations. But we know that, that unit labor costs are still not, not going up in a huge amount. And, you know, job openings are, are, are just kind of in, in the middle there. So there's no... There's no sign that the job market is overheating by any means. And so when we get numbers like this, it's, it, it's kind of 
in a way, uh, showing that, that at least things are still healthy. We're not going into a recession. So right now, we're, the market likes a Goldilocks-type economy where you've got you know, things not, not too hot, not too cold, and not a, a big chance of recession. So, um, you know, we don't, want, we don't want the Fed to raise rates any higher as, as a market participant, but we also don't want to drop into a recession. So that's the, that's the tightrope we're walking right now. And so far, uh, that's what's been happening, and that's the story of 2023. So we're up to almost 10% in the S&P 500 at the, at the high of the year, and it's because we've been able to, to thread that needle so far. We'll see in the second half if that continues, but so far that's what we've got, and that's why the market continues to rally. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, beware your car is spying on you. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. Most things that happen with your car are collected and recorded, but what happens to that information? Let's find out from Adam Levin, the founder of Cyber Scout and host of the podcast, What the Hack with Adam. Levin, thanks for joining us today. And when you drive around in your car, it is constantly collecting information, Adam. And, and what kind of information is it collecting, and how can that information be used? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Rob, thanks for having me. And secondly, you know, a lot of us would like to think of the car as simply the horseless carriage, but now it's really the consciousless computer. So the kind of information it knows about you and can do something with name, home and work address, garage door codes, phone number, email, texts, where you've been, where you're going, and, uh, and where you are. And if they have microphones and cameras, which many of them do, they collect voice recordings and data from devices that you also collect to the vehicle, which means texts, call records, maps, locations. I mean, we're living in a surveillance economy, and this is a prime example of it. Has there been an instance in which uh, someone has managed to download and categorize all of that information uh, that just comes from a single vehicle? Well, believe it or not, there is a website. Uh, You've heard of Have I Been Pawned. Well, that's for email addresses and the like. But there's a website called um, the privacyforcars.com privacy. uh, uh, Wait a minute. Let me get the actual address for you. Um, Don't worry, your car will tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it will certainly tell But the bottom line is there is a website that you can go to. You put in your VIN number, and based on that, it will tell you for your specific vehicle every piece of data uh, that it's collecting. And it's pretty daunting. And, and how long yeah. ha- have cars been collecting data? I mean, is there a specific model year or era when uh, this practice began? Uh, it's, you know, the older the car, the less concern you have about it. But now you're talking about vehicles that have between 1,000 and 3,000 chips in them. And, uh, you know, as, as a result, there's an awful lot of, of electronics going on there and a lot of information being collected. Now, some of this information is not bad information to be collected, like, God forbid, you're in a car accident and you have OnStar it's important for them to know where you are so somebody can get to you as fast as possible. Or if you're having a medical emergency or if you're completely lost and you need help. Uh, But other information gets a little scarier. And what people forget is when you turn your car in, 
a lot of this information is still kept. So it's a process where you really need to think about wiping your car clean before you turn it in or sell it to someone else, uh, just like you would wipe an electronic device clean before you sold it or gave it to someone else. Now, does this uh, open up the possibility of the uh, next hot seller among uh, car owners that don't want uh, their car to collect uh, copious amounts of data on them? Uh, will they turn? Will, will they? Will they eventually uh, uh, try to buy like a 1983 Buick LeSabre, the surveillance-less car, to uh, <laughs> so they feel better about their personal information? Well, there's no question that that uh, that people would like to find things that are a little dumber than what we have today, but, but people love convenience. They love to have the newest, most interesting thing. Uh, and they, you know, they love to do everything. Think about all the different things you do from your car and then think about how dangerous it might be. For instance, let's say you're calling Planned Parenthood or you're actually going to a facility and that information is out there now. Uh, that's pretty terrifying, too, especially in a lot of states that are far more restrictive than the state of Illinois. So that that is certainly something to think about as well. And, and you know, again, who you call, when you call, uh, where you are, what you're doing, your car knows this. Now, can you get it off your car? Yes, but it's a process. Adam Levin, founder of CyberScout, host of the podcast, What the Hack with Adam Levin. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next on this Technology Thursday, cool gadgets for a hot summer. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. Summer is arriving. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, summer is 21 days away. It doesn't feel like it today. And with it come some hot items in the tech area. Let's check a few of them out with Jennifer Jones. Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder, editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today. It's 88 degrees right now in Chicago mm. under mostly sunny skies, and uh, I'm envious of your marine layer. Yeah, it is a little too hot, uh, even for me, who loves all that hot weather, but sizzling awesome gadgets you know nothing would uh, take care of that heat like having your own swimming pool some 10.5 million americans have those and latest in tech a roomba type pool cleaner robotic pool cleaner the aper seagull pro cordless robot pool cleaner this was a real darling of ces this year well it's out now and i gotta say rob it is amazing it has a quad motor system makes it super powerful so it does the floors it sucks up the gross dirt leaves hairs other particles then it climbs up the walls and a rotating rubber brush on the front scrubs all the built-up grime and algae off the floors you just set it and forget it when it runs out of juice it just charges itself back up it's really amazing leaves the pool sparkling clean I love these gadgets that do all the work for you. And, and, and on speaking of the, on the high-tech front when it comes to swimming pools, there is now a swimming pool sensor that can yeah. tell you if your pH balance is out of whack. Oh, yeah. The Water Guru Sense and the brand-new Sense 2 that just launched last week can save you tons of money and hassle. You just stick the smart sensor in your skimmer, and then you know in real time from an app on your smartphone exactly when to run the pumps and add the chemicals. Huge safety, huge health issues. 
Um, I've spoken with pool owners who've saved as much as $1,500 in the first year of having this by not running pumps needlessly 24-7, cut back on pool chemicals. Um, and this new Sense 2 that just came out has added functionality for hot tubs, too. Super smart gadget. And then uh, let's go on to dry land uh, in, in the world of uh, robotic uh, backyard devices. The robot lawnmower is here. Yeah, those Husqvarna automowers, they've been huge in Europe for a while. They are finally catching on over here. And I have to say, this, we, we got ours last summer. This is one of the top three best gadgets I have ever used and tested you put it on its charging base. You set it up with an app on your smartphone. Ours mows every single night between midnight and 5 a.m. We live on a big property. It, it goes over around almost three acres of grass. It's whisper quiet, and it's got all these sensors, so it can't run over anything it's not supposed to. It takes itself back to its charging base. I mean, this is seriously life-changing, and the expense. People are like, oh, they're so expensive, but they're less than a riding lawnmower, and we inherited one of those when we bought this property, and we spent 250 500 bucks on maintenance on that thing. These is what everybody should switch to. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder, editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us on this Technology Thursday. And still ahead, how bots are impacting the collectible sneaker market. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expert date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The Senate will now consider the debt ceiling package forged by President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. State police look into a deadly shooting by an officer in the south suburbs overnight. Technology Thursday, how scalpers are infiltrating the collectible sneaker market and suburban-based Walgreens is rolling out new small format pharmacies. WBBM business, the markets are higher. The Dow up 100 197 points. The Nasdaq up 148. The S&P 500 up 38. It's 1231 as the noon business hour continues. How's the House passed debt ceiling bill is now before the Senate with four days to go before Monday's default deadline. Following last night's overwhelmingly bipartisan House vote for the debt ceiling bill, the Senate majority leader is aiming for quick movement on his side of the Capitol. I hope we see nothing even approaching brinksmanship. Democrat Chuck Schumer says with the House now out for the weekend, any attempt to amend the bill in the Senate risks default. Time is a luxury the Senate does not have. He's urging fellow senators to agree to a swift vote on final passage with no changes. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Washington. Blue Island police say an officer shot and killed a man who was reaching for a gun early today. The story from WBBM's Mike Krause. A statement from police says officers were called to 2015 Broadway Street for a suspicious vehicle well-being check. 
A caller said there was a car with the driver's side door open and a man was unresponsive in the driver's seat. The statement says an AR-15 pistol was visible on the passenger seat. It says officers woke up the man and when he saw them, he reached for the passenger seat where the gun was located. One officer fired one round and hit the man in the torso. He was taken to Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oak Lawn where he was ultimately pronounced dead. The shooting is under investigation by the state police. That's the story from Blue Island. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. It's 1232. Concert tickets are hitting all-time highs, including the sold-out Taylor Swift shows at Soldier Field this weekend. Other artists are generating huge money through residencies and multiple performances at huge venues. Let's get the perspective of Michael Wolf, founder and CEO of Activate Consulting, former president of MTV based in New York. Michael, thank you for joining us today. And it, you, you, we're not necessarily bringing breaking new ground when saying that Taylor Swift is a phenomenon. Every t- every city in which the Eras Tour has stopped in, it's an event. And it's an event that spans many days outside of the actual concerts themselves. In fact, Michael, right now, by Soldier Field, there are people lined up to get Taylor Swift Eras Tour merchandise, the official stuff, and the concerts on Friday night. So in an era of fragmentation when it comes to music, when it comes to radio, when it comes to TV, when it comes to movies, it's truly remarkable to see an act that everybody agrees on. You know, it, it's what's fascinating about Taylor Swift is she's doing the, the Eras tours, about 52 shows. By in, any estimates, it's going to be roughly 1.4 to 1.5 billion gross revenue. Interestingly enough, Beyonce, um, who's, who's just kicked off her Renaissance World Tour, um, is it looks like she could do, be doing as much as $2 billion. So if you look at this and if you look at some of the top acts from last year, whether it was Bad Bunny or Harry Styles or Ed Sheeran or Elton John, um, there's a tremendous interest. People are very hungry to get out of their houses. They want to go see these tours. They want to be with other place people. And the merchandise, they want to buy the merchandise even if they can't afford the ticket or can get a ticket to go to the actual concert. And then this also brings in the the changing economics of media in general, because one of the things that is driving the Writers Guild strike is just this economic meteor, the digital disruption that has hit streaming TV over the last couple of years. Music was the first one to get hit. Uh, with the file sharing phenomenon, 1999-2000, and there was a great deal of disruption as music consumption moved from CDs to digital, and it seems to have found its footing once again. And it seems like Taylor Swift led the way in that in 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 helping reestablish the music industry. Yeah, I mean, streaming has yes, it, um, going back to Napster. Um, Napster, the thing you could look at Napster, you could say it was a proof of concept. It was a proof of concept that people would listen to digital music because at the time there was these questions. Would anybody listen to music on their, on their computer? Today, streaming has, has ended up, um, it's been the lifeblood blood now of the music industry. And yet there's so many other, the word is exploitations of music. And yes, it's going to be live. There's going to be more merchandising. Um, there's all sorts of e-commerce opportunities, fan opportunities. So I think we're going to see the music businesses grow and into other applications, places where music can be important. For example, it's in healthcare or it's in fitness. 
So um, I think we're about to see another wave of, of the music business that's going to be extraordinary because of these stars and because of fans' connectivity with their music. And, and something, you know, Michael, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really age myself right now. I grew up in the era in which MTV really drove the bus in, in music discovery. If an artist made it on MTV, they were on their way to superstardom. And then there were other ways in the door. Let's just say, you know, the music research department at B96 here in Chicago, uh, they would have people in clubs and at local record stores to find out what were the hot sellers were in the Chicago area. But MTV really was dominant. What's driving music discovery today? Because it, from, from my perspective as a 42-year-old old fart now, um, it seems like a very siloed space. Yeah, I mean, I think that what's happened now is it's definitely it's, it's social media. I mean, social media, whether it's huge amount of music discovery is taking place on TikTok. It's an incredible force and will continue to be so. YouTube the recommendations and playlists on the streaming services. Very important that, that my ability to share music with my friends and people to know what I'm playing and, and to, and the kind of recommendations that come from places like Apple music and, and Spotify. So the, 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 the discovery has continued to go across all these, but let's also not forget radio continues to be, a very vital medium for a lot of people to listen to music. And it's where a lot of people still discover music is on radio. Well, that's good to know, Michael, because every, every, you hear all these stories about how it's streaming services and then you have people who uh, put their own music on, on a SoundCloud site and then they're well on their way. It seems like there are so many more ways to get in the door, but once you're there, you rely on traditional media to uh, turn you from a, a phenomenon into a superstar. Yeah, I, I, I think that what's, what's also going to happen in this is that Music, people learn about artists from other, from other places. They learn about Bad Bunny. They learn about The weekend from the Super Bowl. This is, this is people are hungry to, not just to get out and, and listen to music, but they're also looking to discover the latest music. They want, everybody wants to be ahead. They want to be the first to understand a new star, or they want to be the first to be able to go to a concert or, or just love an artist's music. Michael Wolf, founder and CEO of Activate Consulting, former president of MTV based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. Artificial intelligence is infiltrating the collectible sneaker game. Let's learn more from Shelley Palmer, who is the CEO of the Palmer Group and professor of advanced media in residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Shelley, thank you for joining us today. Bot and other uh, automated programs have been used in when it comes to reselling concert tickets and in other areas. So it shouldn't be much of a surprise that this level of technology is now being leveraged in the game to find the latest and greatest and rarest of sneakers. Absolutely. Look, the bot traffic is not new. About 50%, a little more of the traffic on the internet is already bots. When it comes to shopping, um, this is pretty common technology. What I think is interesting, though, is when we start to deploy what's known as autonomous agents, which uh, unlike ChatGPT, where you give it a task and it solves a task for you or gives you an output based on the task you ask it for, 
the autonomous agents is called stacking recursive AI models, a lot of technical jargon for it's a bunch of AI that's sent out to do a task and you don't tell it what to do. You say, look, I want tickets for the Taylor Swift concert uh, on Thursday night. And it goes and tries to find them for you at the cheapest price and it will relentlessly pursue that goal. So where bots used to be just um, deployed by people who knew how to do it, now pretty much anybody that has um, the ability to get some AI under their fingers, maybe ChatGPT with a plug-in that lets you get out to the internet, can start to learn to deploy bots. And I got to tell you, this is going to be really interesting because your bot's going to come fight with my bot over the tickets and then ultimately your bot's going to be trying to buy tickets from my bot and a lot of this is just going to become kind of bots on bots on bots it, it we're in early days but that's where this is headed and it's headed there fast and by the way this is going to include like specials on on black friday or you know at christmas time when everyone's trying to get a limited supply of the hottest new toy or you know hot concert tickets or you name it this is kind of coming quick and this is something that has been around for a long time. Sneaker bots took off in 2012 uh, when mm-hmm. Nike released its latest version of the Air Jordans that year. So it's certainly been around for a long time. But as you said, the technology appears to have turned a corner. Now, does this mean well, that uh, that that the the effort by websites to stop bots, uh, whether it's uh, typing in a, 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 a distorted picture of of numbers and letters or asking you to identify the square in which a streetlight is located is simply not enough? It won't be enough over time. Look, this is not new technology. What's new is how many people will have access to it. And ultimately, as these tools get smarter, CAPTCHA, which is what you're describing, we've all get dealt with it, you know, pick all the hills, find all the fire hydrants, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so this is not, this is kind of, it's good enough for now, and this is, like you said, the tech's been around a long time. It's just been in the hands of people who are technologically sophisticated. Now we're going to put this tech in the hands of anybody who wants it. And, uh, yeah, the websites are going to have to fight back very hard. Some people are using waiting room technology where they make everybody wait. But at the end of the day, human beings don't browse the web. We use web browsers. So only computers ever browse the web. That's the part people sort of forget. Like you don't browse the web, Rob. You, you go to a browser and you use the browser, and that's the computer going out to the World Wide Web, and it's getting data, and it's presenting it to you in a way you can understand it. But if you just sent a bot out there to do the work and said, and said go, you know, go buy me a pair of sneakers, it's going to go do it. So then, very, is going to be. so then very quickly, Shelley, if, if, if bots become more powerful and become a larger part of the shopping experience, how is that going to distort the marketplace and possibly put some things out of the reach of the average botless user? Well, I think that's the case, right? I think you've said it exactly right. You're going to have haves and have-nots. The bots are going to get their first the question is, what are the laws around reselling stuff and marking stuff up? What does that do to eBay? What does that do to secondary marketplaces? It changes the dynamic of the market. And I think everyone should be thinking about this now in the greater context of AI. It's like these new tools are going to change workflow and process across every aspect of our lives. And this is just one of them. But there's an infinite number of places where the way, like this is how we do it downtown, ain't going to apply anymore. 
Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, Professor of Advanced Media in Residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, Walgreens is introducing a new type of store. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Deerfield headquartered Walgreens is experimenting with a new kind of store. Let's get the details from Bruce Japson, Chicago-based healthcare writer for Forbes. Bruce, thank you for joining us today. And Bruce, let me start off with a, a Walgreens experience I had over the weekend, and that was uh, sure. I had to go pick up a prescription, but we were also having people over that evening, and I wanted to be a good host and make sure there were enough mixers for adults who were having an adult <laughs> beverage. So I also got some tonic water along with my prescription, and uh, that is part of the one-stop shop appeal of Walgreens, but if you're trying to uh, position yourself as a health and wellness company that uh, may be cocktail mixers aren't necessarily uh, part of the equation well you just never know i mean there you know there's always those studies that usually trudge out about how wine does this for you or that for you or whatever so maybe they can spin it that way they're also still (laughs) selling they're also still about nine years behind cbs and they're still selling cigarettes but that's another story um so the, the personal store format i mean i think to your point in more urban market um, people have become accustomed to, you know, Walgreens, CVS, you know, going in and getting a beer, getting a, you know, a beer, a bottle of wine or whatever, along with uh, whatever else you're picking up. But increasingly, um, these companies see where the money is. The money is not necessarily in getting tonic water um, for you for a party. Certainly that is a convenient thing, but the money for them is in, in healthcare. And in healthcare, um, I remember when I was at the Tribune this over a decade ago when the Tribune was still a thing and the, the <laughs> prescription, the prescription business as a percent of their whole business was less than 50%. I mean, now we're talking, it's two thirds, 70% of, of the prescription of business. So if you sell, if you have Walgreens as, as gradually over the last two or three years rolled out about 30 or so of these small format pharmacies, if you're just going somewhere to pick up your prescription um, and, and get a consultation or whatever, um, there, there's a lot of money in that. And meanwhile, um, it's less uh, it's less real estate for, for Walgreens. So that's what they're seeing here. And, you know, even though um, over the last decade or so, we've had a lot of prescription, you know, prescription mail order. I mean, younger people just like, wow, why are you going to the drugstore to get your prescription? But study after study will show, lots of studies will show that a lot of folks um, tend to be older and other people, they, they still like to go to the pharmacy to pick up their prescription. Um, we found during the pandemic, people were going there to get diagnostic tests. They were getting vac- vaccinated. They were, they were, the, the pharmacies were among the only things that were open. Um, at, at, you know, in our, our, our famous shutdowns of, of 2020. And so if they had a smaller format, um, they could they could uh, fill in in areas more, I would say more rural areas and smaller areas. Rite Aid is doing this too, um, where they have smaller store formats. I think even Walmart has uh, smaller store formats and so forth. So it's an experiment, and I think it's tend to be in, in smaller markets where um, – you know, they just they just want to have a place for people to go to get their prescription. Bruce Japson, Chicago-based healthcare writer for Forbes. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.